Well, thanks so much for being here today. Um, if you would, grab your study guide out of your bulletin and uh, grab a clipboard and a pen from the book rack if you'd like. As we jump into our discussion, we go back today to our series on frequently asked questions. And um, we do so because of a particular question that continually gets asked. And when I say continually, I mean over 20 years of serving here at Mile Straight, there is no way to count the number of times I've been asked this question. Now, it's not always in the same words. It's not always exactly as you see it uh, on your paper. Uh, but the question revolves around the thought, how can I have a better marriage? How can I have a better marriage? It may come out, well, how can I strengthen my marriage? How can I have a healthy marriage? How can I resolve issues in my marriage? All these things revolve around the same thought. How can I have a better marriage? And today we're going to try and answer that question. Now, there's four things you need to know about this before we get into it. Uh, number one is that there are a lot of things we could have talked about in this study. I mean, there are a lot of areas in which we could work to make our marriages better, right? And so I could have talked about how we've got to keep God first in our lives and in our marriage. That would have been a very important aspect to include, but for whatever reason, God didn't lay that on my heart for this study. I could have talked about how we need to keep our families in church and we need to stay under the sound of the gospel and how important that is and what an incredible commandment of God it is for us to do that. We could talk about that, but that also isn't where God put my heart this morning. But there are six things that I want to share with you. So, so six things will come out in this study given enough time, and I think we have enough time to complete the study this morning. The second thing that I wanted to share with you about this study is that it is, in fact, for everyone. You say, but wait a minute, this is about marriage. I'm not married. I don't intend to be married. I've done that or I haven't done it. Regardless, that's just not in my picture right now. And so this really isn't for me. But I want you to know that, yes, in fact, it is very much for you. Because the principles that I'm going to share regarding marriage, they're going to be centered and focused on marriage, are still just as important for individuals as they are for a married couple. And so this particular study is for all of us. The third thing I wanted to share with you is that you may be thinking, okay, so you're going to give me principles to make my marriage better, but then doesn't it take two to accomplish that? Because I know that I'm going to be the only one that's working toward making my marriage better. Now, let me give you a couple of thoughts here, just off the cuff. First of all, you, you might not be right. You might engage with these things, these action steps that we're going to represent for you in making your marriage better. And you may find that your spouse responds to that. That's what we're going to be praying but then on the other side, you may be exactly right. You may be the only one that works to make your marriage better in your relationship. And if that's your situation, I'm sorry. I really am sorry. But let me ask you to think about this. Wouldn't it be far better 
to walk through these action steps and know that you've done everything you can possibly do to make your marriage better than to get to where I am in life and have regrets. Than to get to an age that, that is a little older than probably a lot here this morning and, and be carrying around some regrets because I didn't do everything the way I should have early on in our marriage. In fact, I still don't do everything the way I should. My wife's in the nursery and she can't rebut this, so we'll just leave it like that for now. So wouldn't it be better to go ahead and say, you know what, I did everything I could. So when life comes to an end, or God forbid the marriage comes to an end, you say, you know what, I hate this, but I have done everything I possibly can. You're living a life with no regrets. Just think it's stronger that way. The fourth and final thing I want to tell you about this is that we talk about these being action steps. In other words, this is going to be work. And don't think for a minute that marriages get better just because we wish they'll get better. It doesn't happen that way. Don't think for a minute, and this is going to sound a little bit heretical at first maybe to you, but please hear me out. Don't think for a minute that your marriage is going to get better because you prayed about it. Because God wants us to put legs to our prayer. God wants us to be involved, actively involved, striving to make it better. We pray like it all depends on Him and work like it all depends on us. We put action to our prayers. So as we move through this study, keep that in mind because we're going to be dealing with this question, how can I make my marriage better? And we're going to lay out some very, very important action steps that I believe that if we'll take these steps, whether, whether for you it's simply an improvement on them or it's for the first time I'm going to take this step, you're going to find that it strengthens your marriage along the way, okay? So where do we begin? Get ready to write number one. I think the first thing we've got to do in order to have a better marriage is to ditch the pride. Ditch the pride. I didn't realize how dangerous that word is until I just said it. Because that can come out a lot of different ways and not sound good. So I'm trying to enunciate very well. Ditch the pride. Ditch it. Now when I talk about that, what I'm talking about is getting rid of the pride in our lives. Did you know that in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, God gives us a list. And it's a list of things that he actually despises. Can you imagine getting a list from God of things that he despises and then going through that list and checking them off one at a time? What's on the list? Guess what number one is? A proud look. Yeah, some of you are right on. A proud look. God hates pride. And why? Why does God absolutely hate pride? Well, there are several reasons we can find as we look through Scripture, but the one that I want to draw our attention to today is because God knows where pride leads us. God knows where pride is going to take us in life. Your text verse, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, says this at the beginning of the verse, Pride comes before being destroyed. 
In other words, pride is going to lead you somewhere. And where is that going to be? It's going to lead you to destruction. What a scary thought. My pride having to be right all the time. My pride having to be the lead. My pride having to be the boss. My pride having to have my way. My pride having to be seen as the most important or the more important. My pride leads to destruction. And I want you to know, as it leads to destruction in an individual's life, it also leads to destruction in a couple's lives. It leads to the destruction of the marriage. And God looks at where pride leads us and he says, I despise it to the point that it makes me sick at my stomach. Disgusted with pride. If you want to have a better marriage, you have to remove the pride. You have to get rid of the pride. You see, pride and intimacy can't live together. It doesn't happen. Because pride is all about me. Glorifying myself, making myself bigger, making myself better, making myself perfect. There's a big task for you. Where intimacy is all about the other person. How do I build you up? How do I strengthen the relationship with you? How do I grow you as a person? What do I do in order to make you know that I love you more today than I did yesterday? It's about growing the other person. The two don't marry up. The two don't come together. Pride and intimacy do not flow. But here's a, here's a thought for you. Guess what flows very well with intimacy? Humility. Because humility is always about someone else, right? Humility is putting ourselves last. Humility is, is not degrading ourselves, not belittling ourselves, but always seeing the other person as more important. And so it ties in so well with intimacy. Humility and intimacy marry up very well. So important. That if I want to have a better marriage, I have to remove the pride from my life. There's one more thought here I want to throw in. And that is that God says that he rejects the proud, but he lifts up the humble. Rejects the proud. In other words, if I've got pride in my life, if I'm a prideful person... God's strength and power is not on my life. He's kind of leaving me to see, okay, find out what that does for you. You're out there on your own. You think you're better than God. You, you're more powerful. You're bigger. You've you're all got all these things going on that, that God can't compete with. Okay, let's see how that works out for you. Not that God abandons us. Not that God leaves his children. But God will allow us to come to a place where we understand, oh man, I desperately need God. Desperately. I'm not all that I thought I was. Not all that I thought I was. But something happens when we humble ourselves. All of a sudden, the power of God is on us. God is exalting. God is building. God is strengthening. And when you add that to a marriage... The power and the strength of Almighty God being influenced 
and influential in the marriage, and you've got a marriage that is steadily growing and becoming better and better and better. So we have to get rid of the pride, number one. You want to have a better marriage, number two? And you've got to seal the mind. Seal the mind. In other words, protect the mind. You, you put a protection around it to where the thoughts that would come in that have no business being there can't get there. The verse for this one, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5 says, We break down every thought and proud thing that puts itself up against the wisdom of God. And listen to this. We take hold of every thought and make it obey Christ. Part of, part of getting rid of the pride in our lives is a recognition of, of what we really are before a holy God. It truly is this. Understand that, that when we come to, an, to a realization that we are sinful, rebellious people who do not deserve the love and goodness of God, then all of a sudden it humbles us to another level. We get rid of some of the pride along the way. It, it helps us get to where we need to be in this life. There's humility. And when we get to that place to where we recognize what we are before a holy God, and we understand what His Bible says about the thoughts of man's heart being evil continually, then we recognize the need to seal the mind protect the thoughts of the mind. We recognize the need to, to limit what flows through our thoughts. It's such a big deal that Paul says, I take them all captive. I grab them, I hold them, and I don't let go of them until they are in line with Jesus Christ. In other words, a thought comes into my mind and it is rebellious toward God, whether it's a lustful thought, a greed thought, a power-hungry thought, a prideful thought. I take it and I hold it and I say, no, you're not getting in. You're not going to roll around in my brain because you have no business being there. And I alter that thought until it lines up in obedience to Jesus Christ. What an important concept that I take captive the thoughts that come in and I don't let them out until they are in obedience with Jesus Christ now when I begin to do that something amazing happens in my marriage something amazing because all of a sudden I'm thinking properly all of a sudden I'm thinking in accordance with what God wants for my life all of a sudden I'm thinking in obedience to Jesus Christ so that my marriage begins to take on a different shape a shape that is in line with what God wants and the more in line with what God wants my thoughts become the greater my marriage grows because I've taken all those things out of the way that hinder a great marriage. I've taken the pride out because I'm not going to let that have the opportunity to roll around in my head. I've taken the lustful thoughts out. 
I've taken the, the greed and the, the, the desire to be controlling or to be the boss. I've taken the bitterness and the anger out. I've taken all those things away to where they li- my thoughts line up with obedience to Jesus Christ. And it does something significant in my marriage. I actually get to see and feel a marriage that is being bettered all the time. It's a great thing. So I get rid of the pride. I, I, I protect the mind. And then number three, I surrender the heart. I surrender the heart. Now what do I mean by that? Notice if you will Romans chapter 6 and verse 13. Paul says, do not give any part of your body for sinful use. Instead, give yourself to God as a living person who has been raised from the dead. Give every part of your body to God to do what is right. So once I get my thoughts in line, once I protect my thoughts and I begin to bring them into line with the person of Jesus Christ then I need to do something about my actions from there. I need to begin to to surrender myself to God to do what is right. But not just what is right according to my own opinion. Because my opinion sometimes can be tampered by what's happening in life. It It can be adapted to what's going on in my current situation. If I happen to be in a not-so-good mindset, then what's right to me may be totally different than if I'm in the right mindset. And so what I have to do is I have to dedicate myself and surrender myself to doing what is right according to the Word of God. I have to live my life according to the Word of God. Now, what does that mean? That means I've got to know what the Word of God says, right? So then I've got to engage the scriptures. I've got to engage God's word on a regular basis. It's got to be a priority for my life so that I know what God wants from me and what God expects me not to do. And beyond that, in those areas that aren't specifically noted in the word of God, then I allow the Holy Spirit to direct my life. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your might. Do not lean to your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. So then when I don't know, the Word of God doesn't specifically state, okay, what do I need to do here? Then I allow the Holy Spirit to guide my life. Something amazing begins to happen when I am directed and guided by the Word of God and the Spirit of God. I'm living in such a way, purity of mind, purity of action, that it does something wonderful in my marriage. It does something incredible. There is a level of intimacy, and I'm not talking about physical intimacy. I'm talking about relational intimacy. There's a level of intimacy that can be attained that most of us have never experienced before. Now I imagine some of you have. The rest of us, we're working toward that. But it comes through purity of mind and purity of actions. It comes through relieving 
our lives of pride. It comes through uh, protecting our thoughts, protecting our actions. And when we begin to do these things, it brings about a change in marriage. brings about a change in the relationship. Number four. Man, this one's going to be tough, okay? So just get ready. If there's any on this page, maybe this one, number four, and number six, are going to be the two that you just say, I'm not so sure about that. But number four, confess the weaknesses. Confess the weaknesses. Confess the weaknesses. You mean you want me to tell my spouse about my sinfulness? You want me to tell them that I've got problems with lust? You want me to tell my spouse that I've got problems with greed or anger or bitterness? You might be totally shocked to find out that they already know it. Oh, you've got problems with anger. Oh. But there's something interesting happens when we open up and confess to each other our faults. Notice what James tells us. James chapter 5 verse 16. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another, listen to this, that you may be healed. Isn't that incredible? So then if I've got a problem in my life, and I've got a particular fault, particular sin that keeps tripping me up and becoming problematic, one of the best things I can do early on in marriage it's more difficult the longer you wait. But early on in marriage is just get it out on the table. You say, now how's that going to contribute to intimacy? It may not at first. In fact, it may create some hard feelings at first. But I can't help but believe the more I know about the weaknesses of my wife which she doesn't have a lot, but the more I know about those weaknesses, because I'm just as concerned about building her up as she is herself, that I'm going to begin to do the things necessary to help her overcome those things. Yeah, there's a little bit of a danger associated because I become very vulnerable when I confess my weaknesses. I become very vulnerable to some harm and to some damage. But I guarantee you, if you want intimacy in your marriage, you be transparent with your spouse. It may bring about some counseling. It may bring about some, uh, some hurt feelings. Honey, I need to tell you something. I'm really struggling with lust. You know, I can understand how that would create some hurt feelings. 
But if you're the spouse who hears something like this, let me encourage you to do something. Try not to think that your spouse is the only one in that situation. There's an incredible book out I would suggest you get if you struggle with lust. It's called Every Man's Battle. It really, really lays it out. It's really clear. It's really helpful. Every man's battle. But, by the way, it's not just every man's battle anymore. In fact, it has become women's battle now as well. And so if your spouse tells you that, try not to fly off the handle. Try to approach this with love and with kindness understand my spouse is wanting intimacy with me or they would have never told me something this difficulty this difficult my spouse is wanting us to grow to a new place and so I'm gonna work it doesn't mean that you overlook it what this means is that then we begin together number five to strengthen the weaknesses we begin to work together to strengthen the weaknesses. Notice again, James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. Here's an action step. There's involvement in helping overcome this weakness that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man, and in fact, this is gender neutral, a righteous person avails much. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. So then what do we do when we hear something like this? Not just lust, but anything else that is a weakness for our spouse. We begin to pray together. We begin to seek God on behalf of this weakness. And in fact, what we're going to find is that it's probably not just one weakness. You may need to start with one and work your way to toward sharing the others. But it's not just going to be one and that's the only one in the entire family probably going to have a list of things that each of you can share and you begin to work together with a common cause of strengthening a weakness in each other's lives you bring about some amazing results because as I said I'm not just going to hear it and forget it I'm going to begin to pray for my wife and and I'm going to hold her accountable, too. Now, if she tells me and I say, okay, well, let's just forget about that. Then no value has been reached. But if she tells me and I say, you know what? I understand that's hard. Let's, let's work together to strengthen that weakness. And I'm going to check with you on a regular basis to make sure that... Uh, you know, that things are moving and progressing properly. Not to condemn, not to point fingers because I've got my own weaknesses. In fact, my stack's probably a whole lot bigger than my wife's. So I'm not doing it to condemn her or to beat her up. But I'm doing it because I genuinely want to see her grow through this experience. We begin to strengthen each other. We encourage one another. We comfort one another. We look up scripture verses together and then on our own. And we come and say, if, if my problem is lust, my wife can come and say, Hey, I found this passage that deals with that. You, you need to think about this passage today. 
Spend time thinking about this passage today. I think it will really help you. And we begin to grow together. Something magical happens when I'm helping her and she's helping me. The intimacy grows like never before. Never before. Well, there's one more thing I want to throw out for you. And when you hear this one, you're going to be, I believe, thinking two different things. Number one, that's a hard one. And number two, it doesn't seem to match up with the rest of them. It just seems to be like, here's all these that kind of fit together, and then you throw this other one in. And why this one gets thrown in, I'm not exactly sure. Maybe somebody in here, a lot of us really need this today. But for whatever reason, God drew my heart to this particular thought. And so it's got to, be, got to be tied in. So number six is plan the conversation. Plan the conversation. What I'm talking about here is strategically planning your conversations. Now... That may not be important to you because you and your spouse are both extroverts and the problem you have is who's going to shut up long enough for the other one to get to talk. But now in most marriages, one of us is usually extroverted and the other is usually very not so extroverted. And so what we have to do is be intentional about our conversations. Listen to what Proverbs says, chapter 25, verse 11. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Fitly spoken. In other words, it's appropriate to what's happening. You know, if I'm going to say something that's appropriate to what's happening, I have to think about it. It doesn't typically just flow magically from my lips. I have to invest a little bit of thought, a little bit of time. One thing I can assure you of is that if Melinda says to me, and she's done this in the past, she says to me, hey, let's talk. You start. That's going to be a conversation that frustrates both of us. Because I am an introvert. And it's really tough for me a lot of times to engage in conversation if I haven't really thought about it. Really hard. So then what do we do to correct that? What do we do to make that a success instead of a complication? Well, there are three things. The first one you don't want to write down. It is a way to make it successful, but it's probably not ever going to happen. So I just want to throw it out there just because it fits. Number one is I uh, all of a sudden become a talkative person. It's probably not going to happen. And so we can probably just discard that one right now. Okay, I am what I am. God's created me this way for some reason. Maybe so I can share my heart with you today. So then that's not going to fit. So where do we go from there? Number two, that, that I begin to strategically plan my conversations with my wife. You say, well, if there's no spontaneity, it's not a very good conversation. 
me tell you, you can only have one or the other. <laughs> you can only have spontaneity, which engages very little conversation with me. Or you can have me thinking about it and planning it out. And we have some sort of conversation. Now my wife will tell you I've gotten better at this over the years. 31 years in December. It's taken me a long, long time to get to this place. But I'm finally getting a little better at it. And the reason I'm getting a little better is not because I've magically transformed. But because I've started investing some effort into making the conversation work. So then as I go through the day, I'm thinking, okay, what's, what's happening today that my wife would want to know? You know what I've discovered? Everything I do, she wants to know. Everything. I took two deep breaths, and then I took some water. You know, as crazy as that sounds, she would really like, because she just wants to hear me talk. I don't understand that. What's going on in my life today? Who did I talk to that would have brought out something that would be interesting to my wife? So I invest some effort in strategically planning a conversation. So that when I get home from work and she says, Hey, how'd your day go? I've got something to say. Man, it sure does relieve a lot of pressure. But you know where, what it doesn't end there? Because not only do I need to invest that effort, she needs to invest that effort as well. Now, you know my wife, she's very talkative. You say, she doesn't need to invest any effort. Yes, she really does. She needs to invest effort in thinking about, well, how am I going to ask these questions so that I draw stuff out of him? How am I going to ask questions that that cause him to remember something that happened during the day. You know, instead of saying, you start, and then all the pressure's on me, and, and I'm just ornery enough to where I kind of buck up against that. And she asked questions instead. Did you talk to Jason today? How's he doing? You know, Jason found out this week that uh, his kneecap is broken half. And so seeing him up on the stage was pretty miraculous. He, he wouldn't not be up here. And so I come home and she wants to know how Jason's doing. Okay, there's a place for us to talk. She may say, did anybody call you today that was needing prayer that I could help you pray about? There's some things I can't talk about. She knows that. But there are other things that I can say, yeah, you know what? So-and-so called and wanted us to be praying. All of a sudden, it opens up a place for us to talk. And it comes not because of magical transformation. It comes because we've invested effort in making it happen. And I tell you what, if you're the introvert, you talk about building intimacy into your relationship, it happens through conversation happens to it's worth the effort it's worth the effort so what do we do with this information you know I hope and I pray it's been my prayer 
that God would really use this discussion today. I mean, for individuals, for me, the, the points are so clear that I really have some places I need to work in my life. And then as far as regarding my marriage, I've got some really big things that I need to be doing. I pray that it's been kind of the effect on all of us that we've come to this place to where we say, you know what, I'm going to take these action steps. It's going to be work, I know that. It's not just going to happen. But I'm going to take these action steps. And I'm going to see what happens in my marriage. So, what are you going to do with this information? You know what I want to do? I don't want to have a formal invitation today. But what I'd like to do is just give you an opportunity to spend some time with God and say, God, here's, here's six things. And I do pretty well with two or three of them, or I do pretty well with five of them, but or I'm really not doing too well with any of them. And I pray that you just help me this week begin the process of walking through these action steps. God, I really want a better marriage. Would you help me to see that come to pass?